Matthew chapter 12. I wasn't going to preach much tonight. I wasn't planning to at all. But to be honest with you, Pastor Donna seems so d- disappointed by that prospect. <laughs> I, I just... <laughs> It's great when your life, look, think about the upside. It's great when your life, wife actually wants to hear you preach after listening to you for 40 years. That's pretty good. But uh, I'm just going to do a short teaching tonight on, on a subject that, that and I'm not going to overblow this, but I am going to state it like it is. If you can get this in your spirit, I believe this, outside salvation and baptism in the Holy Spirit, this that I'm going to share with you tonight has the power to transform your life more than anything else that you'll ever do. And I've tried it, and it works. And it's not a gimmick. It's straight out of the Word of God. And we go through the crests and the troughs of our lives, and somehow these profoundly powerful truths tend to leach out of us somewhere, and we forget them, and we don't put them into practice. But I'm telling you, if you will start doing this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this message in the form of a challenge message, three challenges I want to make to you tonight. And I guarantee you, if you do this, your life will start changing. All right? Matthew 12, 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. Because a tree is recognized by its fruit. As Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of his day, I love the tact and diplomacy he employs here. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. King James says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen to that verse. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for, listen to this, every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted or justified or found not guilty. And by your words you will be condemned. Now these are straightforward, biblically principled, out of the mouth of Jesus truths that we cannot ignore and we should not want to because if we will apply these dynamic principles to our lives, they are transcendent in their ability to speak to our lives. Now I want to I want to season this passage with two more, and one of them is in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18. If you'll turn there, Proverbs 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I'll read it again. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Every year and last Sunday at Easter time, we talk about the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. It's it's the most transitional miracle that Jesus occurred, that that Jesus performed, that motivated him toward the cross. I think the raising of Lazarus from the dead did more to get Jesus crucified than anything he did in his lifetime. Because it was an undeniable miracle. Everybody knew the man was dead. He'd been dead four days there was no way to discredit the miracle, no way to, to uh, explain it away. It, it was verifiable. And, and above all, here's Lazarus, alive, walking around, having people to his house. Well, Lazarus was a 15, enjoying 15 minutes of fame here in ancient Israel. Uh, 
What did Jesus do to, to raise Lazarus from the dead? What did he actually do? Did he go in there with a crash cart? Clear. No. He spoke words. What did God do to create the universe? He spoke words. If you go back and do a study, there is hardly a miracle in Holy Writ anywhere that did not have associated with it or solely the proprietor of it was the power of the spoken word. I mean, almost every miracle in the Bible, somebody spoke or somebody prayed. I know there's some, there's some miracles where people did things. I know Jesus made, made a little mud out of, out of spit and dirt and put it on a man's eye, but he still spoke over him. Almost every miracle, somebody spoke. And I think sometimes we forget that, that God is a very vocal God. God is, is very much interested in, in the power of words. Interesting to me that of all the things God left us, after his son came, was crucified, lived a sinless life, tortured to death, went to the grave, rose three days later, the Holy Spirit came, the apostles did their thing, the New Testament church's birth, the growth of the church through the Pentecostal era, all these things down now, 2,000 years, 6,000 years of history since the Garden of Eden. And what did God leave us at the end of it all? A book full of words called the Bible. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is even called the Word. You getting the picture here? I'm not going to preach a definitive, homiletically sound treatise tonight. What I am going to do is tell you a couple of things and then issue you three challenges. There's another verse I want to put in our minds to throw out here on the table before we actually dig down into this. And it is Proverbs 23, 7. I love it in the King James. There are some verses I like better in the King James than any other. And one of those is Proverbs 23, 7. And it says, As a man thinks within himself, so he is. Now, let me just warn you, if you do a lot of research on the Internet... On, on that verse and verses like it. You're going to find a bunch of religious people who complain about that verse, and their, their angst is that we as Christians, when we, when we use that verse, we're actually falling prey to a New Age power of positive thinking sort of uh, mysticism. Well, if you choose to apply it that way, you can. But, but it doesn't take away from the, from the dynamism and the reality of what the verse is actually saying. And the verse is actually saying, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. There's great power in what we think about ourselves, about our lives. Now, if you look at the sequence of events, here it goes. As a man thinks, so he is. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. By our words, we are justified. By our words, we're condemned. We'll have to give an account of every careless or empty or void word that we utter on the day of judgment. All of our words, you know, when Samuel the prophet became prominent, the Bible says that the Lord let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. He honored everything Samuel said. God places great emphasis on what we say. And the word gospel literally means good news, a good report. 
I'm going to tell you something about God and his nature. I won't get into it. I'm not going to defend this as a dissertation. It's just true biblically. God killed more of his own people over what they said than anything else. Grumbling, complaining, negativity. Back in the Old Testament, that's what kept Israel out of the promised land. You go look in Hebrews chapter 4, and it talks about the great rebellion. You know what the great rebellion is in the book of Hebrews? It's the Israelites not believing the report of Joshua and Caleb. It's, it's believing the negative report of the other ten spies. That's called the great rebellion in the Bible. Think about that. Nobody's out sacrificing babies or beheading people. They just didn't believe the word of God. They didn't believe the positive report. They chose to accept the negative report. God considers that the greatest rebellion in Israeli history. Grumbling and complaining. When, when, when uh, Moses was confronted by Korah and his followers, 250 followers, they were grumbling and complaining. They didn't throw spears at Moses. They didn't try to start a rebellion and, and go to war against Moses. You know what they did? They came to him and they said, who do you think you are? You're no more holy than we are. And God heard it. And he said, all right, we'll see about that. That's paraphrased. He said, tell them to show up in the morning. They showed up the next day. The ground opened up and swallowed all of them up. And that rebellion was over. And it was because of what they said about Moses. Our words have immense power over our lives, over our circumstances, over our health. I believe this with all my heart. Over our, our finances, our health, our family situation, our mentality, our attitude, our, our outlook on life, our future. All of these things are profoundly affected by two dynamics. What we think and what we say. I believe that before our hands do anything... We have already hewn out of the marble the basic form of the statue. And our actual work is the fine-tuning of it. We've already, we've already carved the statue with our thoughts and our words. All there is left to do is sand down the fine details of it with what we actually do with our hands. I believe that. So I want to issue you or share with you some thoughts about this. Number one. This isn't the challenge yet. We'll come to the challenge, three challenges in a minute. But I, I just, I'm, I'm, and I'm just sharing my heart. This is, this, is, this is just straight from my heart to yours. What, what is your prevailing, and don't, don't answer, and I'm, I'm just asking you to do, a, to do a, a, an introspective uh, search, an inventory of your own, of your own self, your, your soul. In case you don't know, you're, you're divided up into three parts. You are corporeal, or flesh, that's your body. You are spirit, that's the part of you that communes directly with God, and that's the place in your heart where the Holy Spirit dwells. And your soul, spirit, soul, body. You're a tripartite being just like God. And the soul is comprised of the mind, the will, the volition, the intellect, and the emotions. So it is your soul that I want you to look at right now. How do you, and don't answer, just think, and, but look, before we start this, let me just say one thing. You, you'll never be able to make progress as a person unless you're honest with yourself. All of us want to look in mystery house mirrors. We do. We want to look in mystery house mirrors. We want to go to the mystery house and find the mirror that makes us look real slim where we want to look slim and big where we want to look big, and that's what we want to see ourselves as. 
What we really need, need is, a, is a 4K camera that don't lie and tells us straight up, this is what you look like inside. So I'm asking you to be honest with yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Don't rejoice if, you're, if you got it going on, either one. Just be flatline honest. Be, be objectively truthful with yourself. And, and I will tell you, it takes, it takes a degree of maturity to do that, to really be honest with yourself. So here's some things I just want to ask you and, and prompt you to think about. What is your prevailing attitude, outlook, paradigm, mindset toward life? I believe that this is one of the most important things. I think it's the, it's the main rudder on the ship of your life that's going to steer you in the direction you're going to go. Man, I wish there was 5,000 people to hear this because this is powerful stuff. You get this, it'll change your life. The way you think about yourself, the way we think about life, our mindset, our outlook, our paradigm, it is so huge in its import and its impact on our lives. If, if you go through life and you think, you know what, man, I, I don't, don't be offended. We're just family. I'm just going to say this, and I, I hear this a lot. If you go through life thinking, man, life just sucks. I just hate life. Life's so hard. If you go through life thinking that, I promise you, your life is not going to be something that you're going to enjoy because you're going to prophetically speak over yourself. You've already set the cast. You've cast the mold. You've put it out there in front of you. You've, you've spoken into existence your own mindset inside yourself. Life's just hard. I've heard people say, the most miserable people I know, they have the attitude that life is just hard. Christianity is just hard. People that struggle in their faith, they have the attitude they have the prevailing paradigm that, that being a Christian is hard. I can think of one person, every time I ask this person, and they don't live anywhere around here, not even in this state, but every time I ask this person about their walk with God, about being a Christian, I know the first two words you're going to say. They'll look at me and they're going to say, it's hard. Is it really? Is it really that hard for us to be a Christian? Think about it. Let me give you my take on that. I think the stuff in life that's hard for us to do is just the stuff we really don't want to do. I think the stuff in life that's easy to do is stuff that we like to do and we want to do. It's easy for me in November to crawl out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning, put on three layers of clothes, walk out in sub-zero weather and climb up a tree and sit there for half a day, wait for a deer to come by. And then if I shoot him, the work just begins. Because then I've got to climb down the tree, get all my gear together, go trail the deer to wherever he went. I've got to field dress the deer. Then I've got to start dragging the deer. And I hunt way off the beaten path. So I, I might have to drag that deer a half a mile. And that sounds, oh, good, half a mile. You go drag a 200-pound deer a half a mile. I'm going to tell you what, that's no fun at all. I have thought about letting some deer just walk because it was so far to drag them. I didn't want to shoot them because I didn't want to drag them. But I've not really done that yet. I just thought about it. Our outlook on life, the way we view it, the way we perceive it, the, the position from which we approach life, the, 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 the degree of positivity, the degree of negativity, the, the, on the number line of, of positive, negative, where, where do we fall on that number line? In the middle is not always a good place to be, guys. I want to say that again. In the middle of the number line is not always the best place to be. 
We need to be faith-filled, visionary, positive, can-do, God-is-on-my-side people, not because we have the ability to do anything, but because we serve God and are in relationship with Him, and He can do anything. So what is your prevailing attitude toward life? What is your prevailing mindset, your prevailing paradigm? All my life, I heard about Murphy's Law. If anything could go wrong, it will. All my life I heard that, and I grew up just believing it was so. Until one day, reading the Word of God, reading these verses I read to you, it occurred to me, I am believing something, and and in my mind I have accepted it as a reality in life. I have accepted that Murphy's Law is real. It affects my life. It affects everybody's life. If anything can go wrong, it will. I have grown up believing that, and it is completely contrary to what God tells us we ought to think. It just is. The Bible doesn't give us any access to Murphy's Law. In fact, the Bible tells us the exact opposite, that we should be thinking, we should be speaking, we should be expecting, we should be believing that we're the head and not the tail. Here's what the Bible says about us. It doesn't say if anything can go wrong, it will. The Bible says we're above only and not beneath, the head and not the tail. The Bible says no weapon formed against us will prosper. The Bible says we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says if you ask anything in my name, my Father will hear and he will do it for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. All things are possible to him who believe. Now, those are just verses out of the Bible, yet most Christians believe in Murphy's Law. Most Christians have accepted it as a dynamic reality, a tangible truth, a, a Newton's Law kind of, kind of hopelessly uh, fixed reality in life, that if anything can go wrong, it will. They expect it, they, they believe it, and so when it manifests in their life, they go, aha, see, I told you, Murphy's Law. If it didn't go wrong, it will, just like I knew it. And yet the Bible tells us the exact opposite is what we ought to be thinking. You know why a lot of Christians live under Murphy's Law? Simply because they believe it and they say it. Because Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. And the Bible says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the Bible says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. We speak prophetically into, I believe this with all my heart. We speak, we feel, we think, we speak the reality into our lives. Whether we want to see it or not, our words belie us and we speak it into existence. Because most of us in this room have been raised up predominantly in a world where negativity is prevalent. Negativity is a dominant reality. Negativity is the paradigm of choice in our world because, and if you think about it, it makes sense because most people want one outcome, one desirable outcome out of a possible permutation cycle of millions of possible outcomes. They want one. What we need to do is be a little more accepting of alternative outcomes and come to the place where we trust God enough to believe that he's got our best interest at heart. How many of you believe the Bible is true? Raise your hand. I believe the Bible is true. Do you really mean that? Do you really mean that? All right. If you mean that, then you must accept what I'm telling you is true. Because the Bible says, as a man thinks to himself, what? 
from the abundance of the heart, what? Life and death are in the power of what? You see how this works? We think it, we say it, it manifests. It's just true. The Bible even talks about the Word of God, the Word, the Word of God being seed and yielding fruit. 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Maybe our words have that same kind of an effect. Not, not as powerful. I'm not equating what we say with the Word of God. That's a theological principle that's undeniably fixed. The Word of God is paramount. But I'm saying, what if the same kind of dynamic applies to what we say? Our words multiply in their reality of bearing fruit 30, 60, 100 times. Think about that. So, I want you to think about your, your mindset, your attitude. Now, let's move to the second point I want to bring and talk about a little bit, and that is, what, what do you say on a daily basis? Not, not what you ought to say. I'm not asking you what you ought to say. We all know what we ought to say. I'm asking you to do a little quick inventory of the words that come out of your mouth. And I don't just mean in other people's hearing. I mean when you're alone. I mean sometimes the words that you speak inside your head that might not come out of your mouth, but they're words you form in thoughts. What, what kind of words do you speak on a daily basis? Now, I, I always loved my father. Monday of this week was five years anniversary of him going home to be with the Lord. He was the greatest man I ever knew. He loved me and I loved him. He was my hero, my mentor, my best friend. Taught me just about everything I know. It wasn't perfect, but boy, we had a great relationship. And one thing about my father, he had a way of encouraging me when I was a little boy to believe that I could do anything. Yet at the same time, and we've got to be careful because sometimes if we're not careful, white men speak with forked tongue, you know. The same father that taught me I could do anything also taught me to believe in Murphy's Law because nobody ever taught him the power of choice. Now, I want to tell you something right now in this moment that will change your life if you get it. You get to choose what you think. You don't have to think anything that life throws your way. When it comes to your thought life, you have the power to choose what you think. You also have the power to choose what you say. You have the power of choice over what comes out of your mouth. That is that is unspeakably profound in its impact in your life. And I want to say this to you on the heels of that. It is never too late to retrain yourself to be a better version of you. It is never too late to change. It is never too late to reprogram your entire hard drive up here to do something differently. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. You can retrain your hard drive. You can reprogram it. You can reboot. You can change. I'm telling you, it's never too late. You can change. What, are the kind, of, what kind of things do you say on a daily basis? Do you find yourself saying, well, I should have known. I planned a camping trip, and it rained. I should have known. All I got to do to make sure it rains is plan a camping trip. See, that's the kind of negativity, that, that, that statement belies a great misunderstanding of the nature of God, of, of the teaching of God's Word, of, of everything that He wants us to be, think, and do, and say. And we have to learn to change 
to begin to think the way God wants us to think and to begin to talk the way God wants us to talk because we live in a culture that is so out of touch with that, they don't even have a clue what I'm even talking about at all. Most people in America would be completely lost already in everything that I've said so far. But it is you who have an insight into God's Word that can grasp this. Now, I'm talking about stuff that runs your intellectual motor 90% of the time you're awake. 90% of your awake time is your mind cycling and pumping out thoughts and feelings and attitude all day long. Maybe 10% of your day, you're, you're demanded to do some trite, banal task. The rest of the time, it's freewheeling up there. You can think whatever you want. And I am here to tell you what your mind is allowed And that's the key word. What you allow, what I allow my mind to generate is going to determine my very destiny. It really is, guys. I'm not overselling it to you. And what we say is a product of that. What we think all day long. It comes out right here. It comes out. It comes out. So, what kind of stuff do you say about your life? About your friends? About God? about people in general, about, don't, don't say anything, just, just hold your face straight and don't say anything, about liberal politicians, about Muslims, about people that have wronged you. What do you say about those things? What do we all say about them? We have the power to say whatever we want. We have the power to think whatever we want. But a greater agenda is not just to exercise freedom, but it is to utilize freedom to bring ourselves into correct alignment with how God wants us to think and talk. Because if you can get there, if you can think right, and if you can talk right, those are the two things you do most. You think and you talk more than you do anything else outside heartbeat and breathe. And those are involuntary. The voluntary things we do, thinking and talking, are the first two. Hopefully, they're in that order. Thinking, then talking. Hopefully. Listen, you have power over both of those. Think about the incredible potential in that understanding. We have the power to choose what we think and what we say. Nobody forces us to think a certain way, to think about certain things a certain way. You may be, you, maybe you have thought about things a certain way all your life. And all that would be necessary to take you out of bitterness and anger into a place of forgiveness and peace would be just to change the way you think about something that happened to you a long time ago. Maybe you have felt yourself undeserving, unworthy, stupid. Maybe people have told you this. Maybe you've done things that manifested that in your life. And all that's necessary for you to become a completely different human being. I'm not talking about outside salvation now. You know, you've got to have Jesus. I'm, none of this is weird New Age stuff. This is all right out of the Bible. But we always couch it in such spiritual terms that people don't know how to apply it to everyday life. You could become an entirely new you just by changing and modifying those two things, what you think and what you say, mostly about yourself and the people that have impacted your life across the years and maybe even the failures and mistakes that you have made. The Bible has a lot to say about how we think about ourselves. 
The Bible tells us in Romans 12 not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but to think of ourselves with sober judgment. What does that mean? It means think of ourselves accurately. That's what we need to do. What do you say to yourself about you? What is your internal self-talk about you? What's going on inside there? What are you saying to yourself about you? What are you saying to yourself about your future? What are you saying to yourself about your potential, your ministry, your life? What are you saying to yourself inside your heart and inside your head? These are dynamics that shape us into the people we become. And the last thing is, what are you saying to people around you? What are you, what are you speaking over them? What are you saying into their lives? What are you, what are you speaking to the people in your life at, at, at work, in your home, in the gym, in the duck blind, the deer stand, the fishing boat, church? Are you saying different kinds of things at church than you say at work? Are you a different you here than you are at home? These are things that we need to get a handle on and get in the groove with God's Word. So, I want to challenge you, and after this we're going to pray. I have three challenges I want to give you tonight. And the first one is this. And this, is, this is a three-way challenge to you. Number one, I want you to... This is a two-part... Number one's two parts, and they go together. Eliminate negative thoughts, period, from your mind. Eliminate negative thinking from your mind. Just choose to do it. Make a choice. Eliminate all negativity, all doubt, all accusation, all gossip, all slander, all bitterness, all frustration, all anger, all Murphy's Law talk, all, all self-doubt, self-deprecation, all that stuff. Eliminate it from your life. Get rid of it. Be done with it. And, and decide today, I am not doing this anymore ever again. Just get rid of it. All negative thoughts. And retrain your brain to think faith-filled thoughts. That's my number one challenge. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. So get rid of the negativity, get rid of the doubt, get rid of the self-condemnation, get rid of the I'm not worthy, get rid of the I can't, get rid of all that and replace it with what the Bible says about you. Replace it with what God's Word says about you. Replace it with faith-filled, visionary, can-do, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. If anybody deserves heaven, you deserve heaven, not because of what you've done, but because of what God has done. You've got to remember, either Jesus died on the cross and the power of that is yours, or it's not. And if the power of the cross is yours, then how can you call yourself unworthy of any good thing God has? If the power of God's of the cross and at the power of truth is that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If that's true, then that's got to be true of you as much as it is of anybody in the world. So do what Paul said, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Press on to the new you. And it's never too late. I'm telling you stuff tonight that will change your life. Get rid of the negative thinking and replace it it's not enough to get rid of the negative. You can't just say no. You've got to say yes because something's going to find a home in there. Replace the negativity with positive thinking. Refuse to say anything negative about anybody. 
refuse for yourself to say anything negative about your circumstances, about your life, about your future. And, and look, I know some of you are thinking, well, that's a tall order, Pastor. I don't, I don't know if I'll succeed. That's negative right there. Stop that kind of thinking and start thinking, I can do this. I can retrain. I can reprogram. Now, I know what you're thinking. The people around me are not going to understand this change. Many of them may not. If they're not Christians, they certainly won't. And, and listen, this is important. It only takes one person to empower your weakness. One. You've got one person who likes to complain. They're negative. You've got to distance yourself from that voice. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to sever your relationship. You just got to spend less time and minimize that voice in your head. If you've got, if you've got a, a hamster that's, that's got the mange running around up in there, you've got to get him healed up. You can't have bitterness in your head and your heart. You can't be replaying loops of wounds that people perpetrated in your life. You will never be happy a day in your life. So challenge number one, eliminate all negative thinking from your mind. Retrain your brain to think faith-filled, biblically accurate thoughts. Challenge number two, and this is going to make you, make you feel weird, but I have forced myself to do this for the last three days in a row. I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you something that's fresh. You know, and I've done this, I've been doing this for 40 years, you know, uh, on and off. But, but we, we, we do it, then we somehow, for some reason, we forget. Then I come back to it, then some reason, uh, let it go. Then I come back to it all over the year. And I'm coming back to it, and, and I'm telling you, it's just changing my, changing my whole outlook and my attitude and everything else. Second challenge, start making out loud faith proclamations over yourself, your family, your finances, your health, and your future. Start saying them out loud. I was coming up, uh, up down the road the uh, last two or three days. And as I was driving down the road, I cut the radio off and I started saying, Father, I thank you that today I'm a child of the Most High God. Today I have the mind of Christ. Today every word that comes out of my mouth is going to be beneficial for all those around me. I say in the name of Jesus that no weapon formed against me will prosper. I'm above only and not beneath, the head and not the tail. I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when I come in, blessed when I go out. Everything I set my hand to do prospers. The power of God lives big in me. I'm going to live, I'm going to, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in, my, in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my fortress. And, and just on and on and on and on. And even if they're not Bible verses, just positive proclamations that line up with the Bible. And you may feel goofy doing this if you've never done it before. It doesn't matter. Do it anyway. Feel goofy. I'll tell you what, after about 10 minutes of just making one faith statement after another over your life, quoting Scripture, everything is possible to him who believes. All things are possible to them that believe. Nothing is impossible with God. You start making statements like that, I say that my future is held in the hand of God and no demon in hell and no work of the flesh can thwart it, can delay it, can derail it, can disillusion me. I say in the name of Jesus that wealth comes to me from the north, the south, the east, and the west through friends and through people whom I don't know. I say that I am made wealthy so that I can be a blessing to the kingdom of God. It is not selfish or material or or silly to pray for wealth stop thinking that poverty never increased anybody's anointing poverty never got one more church built in africa poverty never did anything to expand the gospel of jesus christ what if we had what if everybody in this building right now just us 
if every one of you is worth $50 million, think of what we could do for the kingdom of God in the next 12 months. You see what I'm saying to you? Stop, stop adopting this attitude that money's bad. It's evil. No, the love of it. Greed is evil. But if you want wealth for the purpose, and yeah, it's okay to buy some toys too. But if the main reason you want wealth is not to wield your power to impress people, but to use the finances to transform them into saved souls, then you've got a glorious reason to pray for God to bless you financially. Some of the most amazing men of God in biblical history, God made them wealthy. So there's nothing wrong with having money. I've turned down big-time money in my lifetime. Sports, music, several things. Walked away from it to do what I'm doing. And I'm not trying to impress you or, or put myself on a pedestal. I'm just telling you, if I wanted money, you wouldn't even know my name in this context. Hopefully, you, I'd, I'd, by now, hopefully I'd be somewhere with a jersey that you might, you might know, but you wouldn't know me as a pastor. If I wanted money, I'd have never gone into the ministry. I could have done other things. So it's not about money, but, it, but money's a tool like anything else. You use it to reach people. Stop buying into the poverty equals spiritual mindset. It's nonsense. Pray for God to bless you financially. Pray over your health. Don't believe, well, you know, my grandmama died of throat cancer. My mama died of throat cancer. <clears throat> I got a tickle in the back of my throat. I'll probably die of throat cancer. Stop. Well, four generations of us have had breast cancer. I reckon I will too. Stop. Stop speaking these things into your life. Well, it's hay fever season. That's not one of the four seasons. Well, it's flu season. That's not one of the four seasons. Stop speaking this over your life. Well, boy, the pollen count. The pollen count. So if the pollen count gets high enough, that means, that means God just goes, God just goes and, and bleeps away into nothingness because God can't stop allergies. There's just too much pollen for that. You see how we think? It's flu season. It's pollen season. It's whatever season. Stop and start speaking over your life the stuff that God's Word says about you. I think sometimes I preach this stuff and people stare at me. And I just wonder if it's really getting in there. I hope it is tonight. Start making faith proclamations over yourself, your family, your finances, your health, your future. Stop being afraid of the future. It's going to happen to you whether you fear it or not. Start seizing it by faith before you get to it. Start saying, how about this? Have you sent angels into your future yet to start opening doors no man can shut and closing doors no man can open? Have you, start sent, have you started sending God's word into your future to start making a way where there is no way, streams in the wasteland and water in the desert? We don't even think about this stuff. And yet the future's out there. As soon as Jeremy and Kristen were born, Donna and I started praying over their wives and husbands. And I think God sent them two of the most wonderful people I could ever imagine. I'm so glad Jeremy married Samantha. And I'm so glad Kristen married Jonathan. And I believe it was a direct result of us praying them in when, Christ, when Kristen and Jeremy were little babies. We pray our future. We speak our future into existence. So that's the second. First is eliminate negative thoughts and think faith-filled thoughts. Second, start making faith proclamations over yourself, your family. Man, you walk in your house. And you look at your wife. You walk in the door after a hard day's work. And what you've always said, how was your day, honey? 
Oh, you know, it's just a day. I'm stupid kids and uh, 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 stupid people at work, and you just complain and gripe and sit down. Oh, he's exhausted. That's just something else, too. Stop saying you're exhausted all the time. I'm guilty of that because I am exhausted. And as long as I keep saying it, I'm going to be exhausted. Instead of starting saying, I have the power of God in me. I'm strong like a wild ox. I don't know what an ox sounds like. but I don't know. I'm not going to go butt my head against that pole to prove anything. But we've got to stop speaking this stuff over ourselves. You get a scratch in the back of your throat. <laughs> it's a hay fever. Let's run to the store and get some NyQuil. <laughs> Why don't we start speaking faith over ourselves? And the third challenge I want to give you is this. When, and this is a hard one. And this may, this, this, may, this may help you automatically ease some negative people in your life to the margins. And you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but if you start doing this... You don't have to worry about it. It's like, it's like how to stop a gossip in church. Here's how you stop a gossip in church. I've told you this many times. A person comes up to you to gossip. Look at them. Listen to what they're saying for a second. As soon as you realize that they're gossiping, just say, Repent of gossip in the name of Jesus! About that volume. They'll never do it again. You didn't do anything to hurt their feelings. You actually helped them. And you don't have to worry about pushing them to the margins of your, of your life. They'll take care of that for you, I promise. So my third challenge to you is this. Turn negative conversations that people start having with you from negativity toward faith. When people start talking to you, man, these stupid people in management, I'm just so sick. What do they think? And maybe even what the, what the person's saying might have, some, might have some merit. Let me give you a tip. I've been in upper management all my life. I've been one of the guys that made the decisions that ran the department all my life, okay? Us and them mentalities in corporate America will only hurt you because you're the them and we're the us. Your working peers are never going to get you a promotion. Your complaining negative guys and girls that work around you in the office or the warehouse or whatever it is, school, wherever it is you work, those negative, gossipy, complaining people, they're never going to get you promoted. And you're going to spend your life miserable. So take the challenge to decide, I'm going to be a spark of light in this dark hole of a place, and I'm going to start turning conversations from negativity toward positivity. Now here's something you can think. You can think, you know what? I don't really appreciate pastor telling me what to think. I can think whatever I want to. That's exactly what I'm telling you. You can think whatever you want to think. And if you want to be miserable and negative and bitter and angry, then go on and do it. But if you want to be full of the joy of the Lord, what is the fruit of the Spirit? I think we say these things and we're proud of ourselves that we remember all nine. But do we actually have them operative in our lives on a daily basis? The fruit of the Spirit is, let's just think of the first three, love. Joy, peace, just those three. If I had a pill, I couldn't make enough of them. If I had a pill that would produce love, joy, and peace, what would you pay for a pill like that? Every day in Atlanta traffic, give me three. (laughs) You have a choice what you think is stuck in traffic. Somebody told me today, man, I just have panic attacks when I get stuck in traffic. 
And I didn't, I didn't jump on them, and I didn't say anything to them, but I thought to myself, you have a choice in how you respond. That's all between your ears. The greatest, you know, everybody says the shortest distance between any two points is a straight line. Ah, it's not true. It's from this ear to this one. That's the shortest distance between anything in the world because everything in your life happens right here. You can get control over this. You can get control over this. You can control your destiny. So, three challenges. Stop thinking negatively. Start thinking faith. Stop speaking negatively. Start speaking faith. And be the person that turns the conversations around you from negative, gossip, complaining, grumbling to positivity. Yes, people may look at you funny. Yes, if you've been the negative person at work for the last 12 years, it's going to seem strange. You suddenly, Mr. Positive, don't be afraid to tell them, you know what, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm changing, I'm becoming positive. We're, <coughs> we're not changing anything by being negative. I'm just going to become positive. I'm going to make the best out of this situation. And, and every time I come in here, every time you see me, I'm going to be talking positive. I am. And I, I know I haven't read Zig Ziglar or Tony Robbins. I've just decided that the Bible is true, and I'm going to speak faith over my life. This isn't mentality. This isn't mysticism. This is biblical truth applied to your life in 21st century postmodern America. By the way, the term postmodern is an oxymoron. It makes no sense. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Now, I want us to pray for Easter Sunday. I hope you got this tonight. I'm going to stop preaching this message right there. And I hope you got it. So my three challenges are number one, no negative thinking. Replace it with faith thinking. Number two, faith-filled proclamations over your life, yourself. No more negative grumbling, complaining. Beat yourself up. Talk to your family negative. No more of that. Just faith over your family, your future, your ministry, your health, your money, all of it. And number three, start being a force for positive in the conversations that surround you. Okay? Let's all stand and come gather around the front.